This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit ubcp.com. That's ubcp.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ferminger. and today I am truly honored to welcome Viv Leacock back to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Viv is a friend of the podcast and a friend to many artists working in the Vancouver film and television industry. I think he's such an in-demand and cherished friend because he's kind, but he's also honest. He will tell you what you need to hear because he genuinely cares. And Viv, I've had many people tell, tell me about your brutal honesty. <laughs> that changes their life. As an actor, Viv has shown on screen in multiple projects, including Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, Loudermilk, 2012, When We Rise, I Spy with Eddie Murphy, and as Fincher Garland in Hallmark Channel's Haley Dean Mystery Movies. Viv is now deepening his relationship with Hallmark Channel with his work on When Calls the Heart. Viv plays Joseph Canfield, the patriarch of Hope Valley's newest family. This is notable for a couple of reasons. Three of the four members of the Canfield family are Leacocks. Viv's son, Elias, is playing 10-year-old Cooper Canfield, and his daughter, Vienna, is playing Angela, a visually impaired teen with a profound gift for music. Natasha Burnett is playing matriarch Minnie Canfield, and knowing Viv, I can only assume she's been made an honorary Leacock. Another reason that this new family is so notable is that they are the first black family to move to Hope Valley. Yes, we've seen more black background performers on the show, but this is the first time a family of color has been featured in such a prominent manner. Given how widely popular When Calls the Heart is across North America and the current fight for social justice for racialized people taking place in the States and actually all around the world, this is huge. So I want to talk about all of it, the joys and challenges of acting alongside his talented and beautiful children, and the implications and ramifications of being the patriarch of the first black family in Hope Valley. I also want to talk about all things COVID. Woo! (laughs) Can we make that sound exciting? No. And if Viv is game to play a spirited round of favorite things. Viv Leacock. My friend, welcome back to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) So glad to be back on the mic. On the mic. Now, I was just real, I just had a a flashback as you were settling behind the mic at this table, um, which now has two layers of plexiglass. plexiglass. (laughs) But it was about a year ago almost about a year ago that you were in the studio Mm -hmm. and we were recording an episode of our sister podcast, uh, Screen Scene Society podcast with Christian Sloan and Sharon Taylor. uh, And we were reviewing the movie, The Hunt. Yes, We released that pilot episode on March 13th. Uh, And the conceit of the episode was, uh, you know, four people who go to work, who work in the film industry, go watch a movie together in the theater, come back to the studio right away, and then record an episode about it. And there was a one time we actually did that because (laughs) (laughs) everything shut down. First, like, uh, as far as our industry goes, Rivendale shut down first, you know, and by the 16th, everything, everything was shut down. And yeah, we're recording on March 16th today. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's some timing. That is. So I, I, with all of that in mind, um, I've been starting every episode during the pandemic asking 
from my heart. Mm-hmm. How are you doing? How's COVID treating you? Wow, that is a that is a multi layered question, and thank you for asking. Uh, yeah, it's how are we doing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've said this, and it seems to be true of of uh, a lot of folks in the, in our industry. In that, this is the this is the industry that kind of preps you for the unknown. Mm. It it preps you for long bouts of you know no work uh, for no ne- not necessarily any rhyme or re- reason why things happen and unfold the way they do um, I mean that's the way life works anyway but you know you come into anyone with a 9 to 5 uh, in an industry that let's say has kept going throughout the pandemic yeah um doesn't necessarily have the mindset that you know again any people in our industry have which is you you're you're used to long bouts of of things not happening knowing of course that you know there's there's always work and that you can jump into a different project here and there it can happen when everything shut down you could see that content was being consumed mm. massively and I that. consumed, <laughs> so I, I was a big percentage point of that. <laughs> I consumed all the content. The metric was like Sabrina's house, wow. Um, yeah, right. so kind of very early on into it, I, w- I saw that, you know, we're necessary. Mm. We're necessary. If the world shuts down, definitely need people that are gonna help keep people calm, mm. keep folks you know, reminded of the good things and stories, and this is how this is how humans have gotten through lots of things. Stories, um, and yeah. So, so again, when everything shut down, uh, I I think initially I I think I remember saying to you, I was like, ah, we'd be be up and running by May. <laughs> From March, I'd be like, we'd be up and running by May. They're not gonna have people shut things down. I knew they couldn't say a year. They couldn't just you just can't say a year. You say a year. That sounds impossible. Yeah, people are like, what a year? Like people are gonna implode. So you, you know, uh, and I have to give it up to to the the folks that are putting tasked with with being in charge of doling out information about all the stuff that's going on because it can't be easy. It can't be easy. You're managing a lot of expectations. You're lot. You're managing a lot of anxieties. You're managing your own, you know, doubts and, and hopes and fears. You, you, there's, there's a lot going on. And are you talking I, about you know, doc, people like Doctor Bonnie Henry I and am. Minister Adrian Dix? Yes, yeah? I'm talking about. You know, I have friends that are nurses and Ugh. doctors, and I have people that are you know in the forefront. But like I was saying, get back to, and they're doing amazing. I can't. I can't say enough good things about them but yeah like you understand that we're necessary to the process that all those good people that I mentioned they all need to take a break and that's where we come in Hmm. so so I kind of knew I was like eventually they're gonna have to open it back up so that we can do what we do and I I, it felt like the film industry uh, is a place where you find a lot of people that can pivot Hmm. on the spot that's that's really what we do um, you know, on set, if something goes wrong, people react and fix it. That's the way it always works. I my favorite thing that I always like I hear crew members say from time to time. Someone will say, "Oh, there's a problem with this," and the 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 guy or or gal that's been on set for many many years will always say, "Watch this," <laughs> like <laughs> they're like, "I'm gonna make that problem disappear." And I, I don't know, it's it's always made me laugh so much. It's like it tickles me somehow because the confidence with which they come in to take care of the problem. It's yeah. like it's not even a problem. Don't worry, abracadabra is gonna, gonna disappear. Fix this. We're yeah. gonna fix this, and they already know they're gonna fix it. Oh, yeah, don't even sweat it. Bang, and it just feels like, like I said, this is the industry that. People have folks have the mindset to to pivot and to you know to pick up where we need to yeah and, and to keep on moving forward. So yeah, COVID <laughs> COVID is uh, yeah that's a that's another that's it's another taking thing. a toll. It's, it's taking a toll on all has. of us. It How are really you now? Is. Like in your because I personally 
I was describing this to uh, to my friend Nicole Oliver because mm-hmm. we Nicole. have our our weekly Sunday chat, and this <laughs> usually we get all glammed up. And um, but we were both like lying on our beds <laughs> talking on Zoom, and I was like, I feel just so heavy right now. Yeah. You know, just the heaviness, this fatigue. Yeah. You know, of of all of this. You know, especially as a parent. Yeah. You know, and the and you know our kids are not getting. What, you know what I would consider a normal childhood with play dates and yeah. sleepovers and activities. You know, especially I have an only child. Yeah, there's no other kiss. Yeah, <laughs> except at school, and she has a lot of anxiety going to school because she's really worried about getting COVID and bringing it home to her dad who has kidney failure. Yeah, you know, so there's a lot of anxiety there, and I just, I just, I feel the, I just feel a lot of sadness for yeah. for our children. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing that that. That's just, that's the thing that gets me the most is like, you know, as adults, again, you know, especially becoming a parent, mm-hmm. I always say there's, a, again, there's an extra gear, you know, there's this, there's this other thing where you're not the most important person in the world to yourself. Someone else is. And that's so freaking cool and terrifying. It's it is. the best it's, and it's also really scary. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, but it's like you know, it's like the 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 best things can often come from the things that scare you the most. You know, the the resilience that you didn't know you had, the fight you didn't know you could put up. The yeah. you know, you don't know how long you can run until there's a bear chasing you. Do you know what I mean? Like, have you been chased by a lot of bears, Vin? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I will, we will, then we will not be putting that particular one to the to no, the test. No, 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 no. <laughs> but you know, it's that thing where I have a lot of friends that you know over the years before they had kids, they would always be like, "Oh, you know, I, I don't know if I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready." And I was like, "I don't know if you could ever be ready mm. for for the unknown." Um, and this is that's exactly what's going on with this time and yeah taking you know with our kids during this time um a lot of questions a lot of a lot of things to be answered and a lot of things you know revolved around uh, George Floyd's murder right and the subsequent you know black lives matter movement because right, that was all happening right <laughs> in those first few months yeah, of the pandemic. Yeah, like a month in. Yeah, it was. That's that's what that's what happened. And I say all the time, you know, that moment when George passed, um, and we're coming up on the anniversary of that. Yeah. Um, that was the moment where without the pandemic without people being you know staying at home without people not having the option of turning away not having the option of distracting themselves with a trip to the Maldives or whatever 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 for the first time maybe in human history everyone was focused on the same thing at the same time everyone saw what happened and collectively I think because a lot of folks that had never really experienced their rights these this that words in quotations mm-hmm. being taken away understood that what they saw was completely wrong and it was a it i think it struck a chord with their fear it was and a lot of people didn't understand this very basic thing as far as i'm concerned if you couldn't imagine yourself or someone that you love dearly underneath that cop's knee then you didn't get it mm-hmm. if you couldn't imagine that yourself or someone that you love dearly being murdered like that, that you didn't quite get what it was. But that was the first time, as far as I could see, where I saw people have their eyes open. When we say people, when you say people, mm-hmm. 
Are you you mean non-black people? You mean white people? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like I said, anybody who's you know not walking around, who gets you know heart palpitations when the a police car is behind them when they're driving. Yeah. You know who have to calculate the world in a different way. It's it's and it is what it is. Your experience is your own, and everybody, of course, can say, "Oh, it's been hard for me." Whatever. At this particular moment in time, just due to what was happening in the planet, everybody saw it. Yeah. And everybody reacted to it. I've had some folks tell me that that video is fake. <gasps> yeah. I've had some folks claim that the video is fake and that it's all a ruse to trigger black people into essentially starting a, a race war. People say this to your face or tweet mm -hmm. it at you. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, think of all of the other videos. Think of, yeah. like, it's not just like <laughs> that video as horrific, watching him be murdered in that way, as horrific as that was, it also wasn't the first. No. There are decades, decades. and decades of examples, yep. you know, so. So why this one? Why this one in particular? Yeah. Because this was the first time I think that people couldn't ask the question, well, what did he do? Because mm. you hear that all the time. All the time. Yeah. If I say a black guy got shot, it's not hard pressed that the next question in people's minds is, well, what did he do? He must have done something. Yeah. No. And that's the whole thing. This was the first time that people saw that the narrative that black people have been saying for years, which is you don't have to do anything. Yeah. You just have to be black. You don't have to do anything. You could just be standing there. You could be sleeping. You could be sleeping. In your bed. And not have done anything. Yeah. And that is what's gonna go down. Yeah. That's what's gonna happen to you. You could die. You could die. Do yeah. nothing. Do no fault to your own. And people are like, oh well he, and again, oh well he, had a, he was a criminal. He, he had a, a criminal history. Yeah, okay. I've seen people go into a black church. There's a guy who went into a black church, sat down with the people in the church, and then shot them at point blank range. Killed and they took people. this dude yeah. to get a drink at Burger King because he was thirsty. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like that's that's the difference. That's the thing. And yeah. we can't, you know, we can't, focus on the differences and we can't we can't like nothing's gonna happen if we if nothing's gonna happen if we keep pushing them. you treat this person like this and you treat us like that nothing's gonna happen nothing's gonna happen this is not for this is not for you know black people have been putting their hands up for a long long time yeah trying to get people's attention this is for everybody else that's watching to to finally open their eyes and see it's that's really what the deal is and 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 it happened it happened people saw and they you know, in the industry, you know, I talked I about gonna, before, the industry pivot. It was a big pivot point. Let's talk about that mm -hmm. uh, because um, I know, I mean, <laughs> I was asked to host a lot of different discussions, um, including a key one uh, sponsored by Vancouver Asian Film Festival yeah. that was looking at uh, white supremacy and racism in the Vancouver film industry. Yeah. And we had Andy Hodgson, Marion Barry, Rakia Bernard. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, they, our discussion with them was at a lot at the beginning. And then we invited in some, you know, white show, uh, white showrunners, Jem Gerard and yeah. um, director Zach Lepofsky, yeah. you know, to talk about uh, and acknowledge, you know, and really get their fingers into what is actually happening in our industry, yeah. you know. Um, so I'm just, you know, I'm curious, like, on one hand, I see th the casting decisions, um, including the arrival of the Canfields, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in this, in, in Hope Valley, which has long looked and felt a certain way. Yeah. I see that as a win, you know, and, be, and, and yet... You know, then we have what happened a few weeks ago, where yeah. uh, the, and where I did a special episode. If you want to go back and listen to that, I know you did. <laughs> <laughs> you know I did. I know you did. Uh, that was about um, you know uh, uh, 
people of color on a on a film set who wore Black Lives Matter shirts to work and were told not to do it again by a producer because yep. you know that was uh, too political and um, <laughs> and uh, liken them to uh, uh, mega hats so you know on one hand I'm like yeah. we're coming so far and then on the other hand I'm like no it's still there like it, yeah. like where how do you judge about how like are we moving forward where does the change need to happen you know because I feel it's not much of an interview if I'm just telling you how I no. feel that's why this is a conversation yeah. but you know there was for years I was attending those you know diversity and inclusion panels yeah. and talking to a room filled with you know uh, brown and black people mm -hmm. you know and being like okay well we're we're here yeah you know but change is not gonna happen no. you know and then there's also if if we don't have you know the white people there and then at the same time uh if you just bring in one token person you know into an all-white environment yeah. and you're not willing to to do to do work to actually you know talk about what diversity and inclusion and representation means you're bringing a black person into a hostile environment yeah you know so like so what are what have you seen then you know anecdotally you know in the in the last few months yeah it was uh i i literally saw uh, a breakdown for for a, uh, for a movie of the week. So, so the breakdown is what actors see uh, from their agents when they you, know, you go into an audition. Um, the breakdown has all the information about the cast, all the different ca uh, characters, and their literal their their you know their ethnic background, their age, and a, just a general description about well, who they are and what they do uh, in the show. So I saw the breakdown for a, a movie that that came out this was before the industry shut down so because the industry shut down everything got pushed mm -hmm. so I saw the breakdown <laughs> and it was like you know maybe there were maybe there was one black guy and maybe one black girl you know where they actually listed african-american um, that same breakdown came back out after George Floyd um, industry started to opening open up again, and almost seventy five percent of the cast was now African American. They, hmm. everybody, everybody wanted to be on the right side of things. Everybody wants to, you know. I you see people pivot, right? But it's but on on this end of things, it's like I've always been here. You know, Ruki has always been here. Mm -hmm. Omari's always been here. Adrian Holmes has always been here. Do you know what I mean? Like, we've been doing this for a long time, and all of a sudden, all these doors open, and I didn't change anything I was doing. Mm. I didn't all of a sudden just get better. But all these doors open. And so the, the thing about it is, you know that they could have done this before. You know that it could have happened without somebody having to die, without a lot of people having to die. It didn't have to be that. That couldn't didn't have to be the catalyst for somebody allowing the situation to be a little more equal mm -hmm. and a little more fair and a little more inclusive. It didn't have to happen. But that's exact but that's exactly what did. So so yes, it is a win to to be cast on when calls the heart. It is a win hmm. that my children get to be working alongside of me, playing my children on when calls the heart, and alongside Natasha Burnett on when calls the heart. That's amazing. Yeah. But you just wish that they had done this a year ago. Yeah. You just, you know what I mean. You just kind of wish that it's like that it didn't take something of the magnitude of you know again the world shifting for it to happen it's this thing that because the work that I'm doing now is the work that I was doing before I didn't change yeah right and so that's the thing that's the thing that that can causes you to have to break things down in a very different way I have to look at the wins and I have to put aside the frustration about how the winds have come. I have to put that aside because, you know, I still have a job to do. Yeah. You know, and and yeah, you can very much get. I had a lot of questions for myself when 
when uh you know i got the part uh of joseph canfield um there are a lot of good folks i'll say this and this is the truth there's a lot of good folks at hallmark that reached out to me wanting to ensure and make sure that they were doing everything properly that they were asking the right questions writing the right words you know um saying the right things they really wanted to make sure that everything was done properly mm-hmm. and uh that was great that was great and it, it actually created a uh, created a discussion that myself and natasha had where we had to we had to realize when you look at hope valley and you look at the show, When Calls the Heart, you see the period piece. You see the, you know, it's taking place 1918, not a specific geographical location because Hope Valley is, you know, no one really knows where it is. Yeah. (laughs) It's like the Springfield for the Simpsons. You don't really know where it is. (laughs) (laughs) But also, and it's Peter DeLuise that, that really helped um, help me see this in the way that I should. Hope Valley and the world that it's based in is not necessarily the world that we are based in. This world War One hasn't happened yeah. in Hope Valley. You gotta think, there's a lot of stories, just, just from a veteran's perspective, just imagine, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine I'm a veteran coming on the first you know I'm I'm a mil- I'm supposed to be a military man coming in to that storyline. Well, what do I base my thought process on? What what do I because historically it hasn't happened. Yeah. So that means that I am not necessarily what I would be if the show was based on our actual history. Well, and can we can we even say here. like cuz I mean like even even I think more relevant to this discussion mm-hmm. is the fact that you know you are uh, when we first see you you're a black man mm-hmm. in a town where I don't see any other uh, other black people um, yeah there's a and, few yeah but in, but in <laughs> yeah. The, like his background right? yes yeah um, and you know this is still an era where although even now people are carrying trauma exactly. but back then there is you know even you know more uh, more top of mind memories of things like slavery and lynching and like that's still very much going on yes you know and yet you walk into town and they they immediately treat you embrace yeah embrace and and you know that there's no um None of the racism that you would expect to see no. if something taking place in 1910. Yeah. Or 1918, 1918 as you yeah. say. There's no, that's the whole thing. And, and th- so you get this sense. It's like a fantasy. Yeah, you get this yeah. sense that Joseph comes from places in the world where it's not like Hope Valley. Yeah. Because this is, this is how, this is how Joseph and Minnie are measuring every interaction they have right it's like it's like when you meet a new someone new you're consciously and unconsciously sometimes measuring what you believe this person is all about to what you're seeing in front of you this is how we do anything and and this is unfortunately why I've been in situations in my life where someone has judged me long before I even said a thing because they see me coming from 100 feet away. They know I'm a black guy. Mm. Can't miss it. And so they already have their expectations of what I'm going to be, what I'm going to say, what I'm going to think from whatever they believe that black people are. And that's almost exactly like that is what Joseph and Minnie are bringing with them. They're bringing with them, uh, it's loaded. The experiences that they've had outside of Hope Valley aren't all... Aren't like Hope Valley. They're not. They so are we going to hear more about those? We are going to hear more about that. Okay. Yeah, we are going to hear more about what happened in their in their past, um, specifically with Angela. Okay. Um, there was some reference to that some, in yes. the fourth episode. Yeah. In that, um, you know, so Angela, our daughter is is um, is blind, 
uh, on the show, and the, and there's a reason for it that has to do with how we see the world hmm. and how we specifically see this place that we found ourselves in. You know, and and them moving to Hope Valley is it parallels something that happened in my life. Um, so my family was uh, in New York when I was a kid and, and, and my father got a job offer. He got two job offers, I should say. He got one job offer here in Vancouver and he got a job offer in Los Angeles. And he decided to come to Vancouver first and he checked out because he, he, he'd been to Los Angeles but he hadn't been to Vancouver. So he decided to move us here based on exactly the same things that Joseph decided that his family should move to Hope Valley. And it was based on the way people interacted with him when he was here, yeah. before the family got here. Yeah. He deemed that this place would be safer for his family, and so this was the choice. Yeah. And yeah, and now how many years later, here I am literally playing a guy who's doing exactly the same thing. This is huge for when calls the heart, right? Like this is this what like why I, <laughs> when I when I heard about it, mm-hmm. I I was I was amazed. I was a little worried because I'm like, how is they gonna? Are they just gonna be the token? Right. You know, the token black family. Um, and then I've watched the episodes and I'm like, oh no, they're really yeah. them. Um, yeah. and it's so nice and and uh, yeah, I, I told like I so that part of it was. But you know, what does it mean given the fact that when calls the heart is so popular, mm-hmm. um, and has such a a huge impact? You know, especially in certain parts of America, it's a huge show, you know, a huge, huge show. show yeah. um, what is the importance of a family like the Canfields being part of the of the hustle and bustle of Hope Valley, and also, you know, um, sharing their their stories? Mm-hmm. You know, the the reasons they do and they view the world the way that they do, mm-hmm. you know, and why Minnie is so protective, fiercely protective mm-hmm. of, of Angela. Uh, yeah. you know, um, what's the importance of it? The, yeah, the, the importance is, you know, there's a lot of people that are not gonna understand what I'm about to say, but it's, if you never see someone that looks like you in the stories that you turn on, you, there's this sense that like, it's not attainable. It's not possible. I can't get on TV. I can't do that job. Uh, there's no one there that looks like me. There's no one there that is like me or understands me. It's really just something that just gets reinforced. It's yeah. just, you know, and it's, this is the same reason why the show Friends, which so many people love, 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 I had a huge problem with. You know, again, talking about New York City, you can't tell me that that show would be possible <laughs> to even imagine without way more black and brown people walking around. It's just not possible. It's not. It's impossible. It's and again, not New York. It's not New York. That's some again. <laughs> it's that's some <laughs> other universe. You guys, you can guys can call it New York all you want, yeah. but that's not what New York looks like. Not even close. Yeah. And so. Because of that, I, again, you know, nobody's thinking they're doing anything wrong. Because the, the, the simple fact is this, and this is, this is really how you can be made to feel. When you don't see yourself anywhere, the thing you can be made to feel is without pressure from some outside source, like the NAACP. That was always the thing back when I was a kid where... These, you know, all these different broadcasts were fearful of the NWA. Don't want the NWACP coming and saying anything because, oh, God, we're going to get in trouble. That, that was the thing. It was like without anyone saying anything, you wouldn't see ethnic people in a lot of programs. You yeah. would not see it. I, I talked about breakdowns before. I'll tell you the funniest thing that I noticed with breakdowns through the years I would go in for a part and it would say, uh, you know, we want African-American for this part. And I'd go in for this part and there would be 
white dudes auditioning for the same part that I'm auditioning for. Because it was always this thing where it was like, well, if we can't find a black guy, we're just gonna, we're just gonna flip that and just go back to the way we want to go. You, you got the sense that there was almost like a, oh, we gotta fill this quota. There's yeah. the quota that we have to like live up to. There's yeah. a thing that we have, some metric we have to meet. And you, you got the sense that without that pressure coming from the outside, that people wouldn't think to do it. They just wouldn't. Yeah. They would just make a show like Friends. They would just, which, look, don't get me wrong, phenomenal performances, phenomenal actors. It's a show that my kids like. Everybody, you know, everyone loves Friends. I'm not even going to sit there and say I don't like it, but I didn't like not being represented yeah. at all. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, you had Aisha Tyler come on, what's the last season or something like that? Come on. You know what I mean? Throughout yeah. how many seasons of that show? Come on, guys. Again, like I said. And David Schwimmer had to fight, fight for that. Fight. 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 Because the, the whole thing about it is there's some fear that people have had over the years of any type of inclusion. That's really what it is. It just comes down to fear. People, you know, they build up their show. Let's just say they build up their show. Right, and we know who's watching. Historically, back in the see now, kids don't know this because kids watch Netflix and streaming services, and they don't watch commercials. Stuff doesn't have commercials anymore, right? Yeah, when a commercial pops up on when my daughter's watching one of her like video game YouTubers, yeah. she's like she loves it now. Yeah, because <laughs> she's it's such a it's such an odd thing. Yeah, it's like what is this? But <laughs> but you could tell what show was on. See, I didn't even need to know what show was on if I saw the commercials. If I saw the commercials, then I knew who they were marketing to. When you watch Friends and you watch the commercials that popped up during Friends, you would never see a black face. Mm. You would never see an ethnic face on any commercial yeah. because they knew who was watching. And that's the whole thing. So if they know who's watching and the advertisers are paying massive amounts of money to advertise for a specific you know, class or set, yeah then you're not gonna get a producer who's like trying to bring in a black person. Why? Why should we? Yeah. My agent back then literally told me that that was a deal because I was I was saying, we were talking about the show ER, and I was like, why don't you see a Vietnamese dude on, on ER being playing a doctor? Why, why not? Like I just threw out like a random, like Vietnamese dude, why not? And he's like, because they know Vietnamese people aren't watching. This is what he said. Or a Filipino nurse, and I say this as somebody whose yeah. mother-in-law is a nurse. If you want to show yeah. what an accurate picture of a nursing <laughs> yeah. staff is, please, you know, let's should be a lot of even in the UK when yes. Paul's in hospital there. Yes, Filipinos. Yes, they're nurses. <laughs> they're nurses. Uh, my wife's a, my wife's a Fili Filipina, and my sister-in-law is. There's a bunch of nurses. Yes. I, I'm not even joking. <laughs> yes. That's the deal. That is so, the deal. And yeah. yet, how often? Do we see that on medical shows? They don't because they don't have to. Again, yeah. because it's an advertised, you know, system. It's a something where somebody has paid money to push their product and that product is typically bought by this group and so they don't need to showcase anybody else. They don't need to because they know who's watching. Because yeah. if I ever saw a commercial for McDonald's and I heard Mickey D's, I guarantee you the BET Awards were on. Mm. I guarantee you like some track and field event was on. It was never gonna be, you'd never hear Mickey D's and see the show Friends. That would never happen. No, It could never happen yeah. because they know who's watching and that's the whole thing. So now, you know, coming all the way back around to When Calls the Heart. I know that everybody knows that historically there have not been storylines that, that there's been a couple storylines apparently where there's people of color on the show but historically not not really cuz they're looking at they're looking again it's like there's a metric they're they're looking at who's watching yeah right who are the people that love this show who are the people but uh, but you know my thing is guess what this is how it's always been. And if you think that ethnic people weren't watching shows where we were not represented, then you're sadly mistaken. Yeah. Because guess what? That's what was on. Yeah. So you watched it. And if it was a good show, you, you rooted for it. 
and that's what you get that's what you learn as a person of color or a, you know a minority in this industry who's not you know not being showcased you learn to look at something for what it is good show good actors good production value yeah a lot of the shows that I grew up watching they didn't have a bunch of black people in it yeah they didn't but I still I still love them nonetheless and, and that's the whole thing it's like I think that Hallmark is going to be I think pleasantly surprised by the number of fans that are going to react to seeing the Canfields I don't think they know yeah. I don't think that they have again where's the metric where's the measurement where's the graph that tells you yeah. any of this you can't know this because you if you've never catered to you know <laughs> anybody outside of a particular group then you actually don't know yeah. and I think that's just the thing it's a fear based decision because yeah. they've done it but they don't know what's going to happen because yeah. you know you can make a move because you like finally see like oh man wow you know what like so many people when everything went sideways you know a year ago people oh, I had a bunch of people calling me asking me if I was okay and these were not people of color mm-hmm. and it was are you okay oh my gosh and I, and my whole thing was you just saw something horrific happen to a human being it's not about me being okay what about you? What do you think about this? Do you know what I mean? Like that was always that I wanted to ask that question. Are you okay? It's like I didn't die. That wasn't me. How do you feel about what you just saw? Yeah. Should it land on me harder than it lands on you? You just saw someone get killed. You actually watched that happen. Should it matter that the guy didn't look like you? Should it? Right? And this is, you know, this is the questions that I that I I had for people. It's like that was horrific. No matter what. No matter who. That was horrific. Because it was just about somebody taking someone's rights away until they died. Like yeah. that was that's, that's what that was, and it shouldn't be like. This was there was a lot of black folks that were very tired of answering questions. Mm. They were very tired and weary of having to tell people or show people how to think about this. Yeah, Rikia wrote about that in the article. Uh, yeah, uh, dear Becky, that she wrote for yeah. one of the screen scene. Yeah, we spoke a lot. Uh, about you know before she before she put that out we spoke a lot about how we felt and a lot of it was it really was fatigue it was like oh my gosh I've been you know and and again it was it was not done out of a place of like you know people weren't being condescending or anything asking how we felt they were really genuinely like hi man I care about you and I'm realizing some things I'm realizing you know that I've I've as much as I didn't realize, they, they were realizing that they were complicit. Mm-hmm. They were, they were, you know, by not saying anything about the things that they saw, they they realized that, that they were, yeah, they were complicit in in the the level that to which things had gotten. And because it, it's not like again, black people have been saying what we've been saying what we've been saying for a long time about how we're being treated, and if no one's listening, then it really is up to the people who who are you know running the things running the you know the casting sessions running the you know the the decisions on who's included and not included it is up to them to do something different than they've done before it is up to them to realize that they are painting a picture for what people believe is the truth. Like I said, someone judges me from 100 feet out, and I haven't said anything, I haven't interacted with them, I haven't, nothing. They don't know me from anywhere. Yeah. And they're, you know, and they're already deciding that I am who I am. That's because of something that they saw. It's not because of something, they didn't, they didn't meet me. It's yeah. something that they think they know about me because of, again, you know, it's, Magazine. All those reinforcements. All those media. reinforcements. Yeah. Magazines, movies, television, the news, you know, saying. Because when I was a kid, everybody that did something bad was a black guy. Yeah. You could you could literally blame a crime on a black guy and people would totally buy it, 100%. Yeah. Manhunt looking for this black guy because somebody said, this is the person who did yeah. something bad to me. I'm remembering so many cases of... Um, 
of white people who've done something awful, yep. I think, to their children. Yep. Um, and then being like, oh, it was a, a black guy. Yes. You know, who took who the car. Took the car. And, yeah, and, and drowned my kids. And blah, that's blah, blah. right. Yeah, and people were, they put out a sketch. This woman, she, just, she was able to describe this guy and sit down and, and a sketch artist sketched up this dude and people were looking for this guy, man. Exactly. Based on a on a Based. probably a real guy that she saw once. Yeah. You know, and yeah. did not give a did no. not give a flight. And she cuz she knew that people would believe her story. Yeah. Just like just like the lady who knew that she could call the cops on my man in Central Park mm. and that this guy would get killed. She knew it. Yeah. She made that that was a threat that she leveled at my man. Because she knew, this is the thing, when we reinforce all these stereotypes, when we reinforce the fact that, you know, you don't get to see people doing anything good, it's all bad, it's this, this, that, then pe that's what people believe about you. When you yeah. get people saying things that are horrible about another race, that's what people believe. And yeah. and you, you, have to, you have to be careful. You have... We have a lot of we have a lot of sway in this industry. People look to this industry, you know, as the thing that represents what the world is supposed to be, and it's really far away from what the world is. It's really far away because in real life, in reality, you know, you you get a lot of in instances where people they don't care, they don't could care less if I'm a black guy. I walk up, hi, how you doing? Hey, how you? They don't care. They don't. It doesn't matter. Just yeah. another person. <laughs> I think things have gotten a little better. It feels like it feels like you know. I mean, definitely people are kind of watching themselves a little closer now. People are watching what they say a little, you know, a little, a little more closely now. But but uh, you know what we were just talking about. We just had a, an incident on on set mm. where a couple of crew members were asked to remove a Black Lives Matter T-shirt because. Somebody thought that that was a political statement. It was too political. It was too political. And I have never in all my years on being on set ever heard about anybody being asked to remove clothing. Mm. That has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. You're doing your job? I've, 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 never, I've never heard of this. And I... I have questions for for the producer that 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 made that statement and tried to enforce something from the standpoint as far as what I heard from the standpoint of it because it was going to make people uncomfortable and my question is who who was uncomfortable who 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 had come saying that they were uncomfortable about these particular t-shirts that everyone's seen for a long time now because unless you lived off the planet earth since last year especially you've seen black lives matter t-shirts everywhere yeah and you should know what they mean you they literally mean that black lives, lives matter, matter. <laughs> and if is that political yeah if yeah. that's a problem then somebody really needs to educate themselves my whole thing is and this is and this is the whole thing you know what we're talking about, and the, how how amazing it seems to us that somebody could even how could you not know? This is a prime example of 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 again how black people have been walking around for a long time. It's like how could you not know that we've been saying this about how we were treated for so long? Like well, how, for so long, somebody somebody told someone to take off a Black Lives Matter shirt, like. Where have you been, my man? Yeah. Where? What? What universe did you just come from? Because, yeah, you should know better. I mean, especially being somebody who's put in that position. You're a producer. You're in charge. You're running a set, and that's that's the best you could do. Yeah, and it really upended things on the set for sure, and within the industry. Yeah, um, I know who I know who it is too, and that's the thing that the, more than anything, I'm just I'm I'm like, I thought you were smarter than that. Mm. That's really that's really the thing. I just thought you were smarter. Yeah, that's it. That's the deal for me. I want to go back to Hope Valley. Yes, 
because um, we are running out of time with you, <gasps> and there are some mm. things I definitely wanted I want to talk about, and I also want to play some favorite things. Okay. Um, so, I mean, you are working closely mm-hmm. with your children, mm-hmm. with Elias and with Vienna. What have you learned from your children as you've worked alongside them on When Calls the Heart? That's a good question. You know, I'll tell you what I le- I've learned from my children that it's hard to see it's hard to see your natural ability your own natural ability it's tough to see sometimes because you know you know yourself you only know yourself and then you do what you do and and there's been a lot a lot of things and i'm sure you have the same thing happen where you 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 kind of look at things like yeah i think this way and it comes easy to me and if you don't hear a bunch of people thinking the same way you do, you can kind of feel alone. It's like, oh, oh, okay, I guess I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. And then somebody else will come along who's made it, and they talk like you. They think like you. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm not alone. And my thoughts, unsupported, are accurate. Mm. Before I could like do like a check mark and actually grade them against what everybody else is saying and doing, wow. I guess I do know what I'm talking about. That's what my kids have kind of reinforced in me. It's like to see my kids so comfortable on set, first time acting in front of people, blew me away. But I'm sorry, what? That was their first time first, act time acting in front of people. First day. They looked so comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing that blew me away. Cause wow, I, I am just. Yeah, I've never been shy. Amazed. Never ever. Not one day in my life. Never been shy. I was I'm not always surprised. the kid. Are you surprised me? <laughs> I, I was always the kid who was coming up to people. Hey, how you doing? I would talk to strangers. I would like. It, I, I would always. My mom always makes fun of me when I was when I was a kid. I would flex my muscles and be like, "Look at my muscles! Look at my muscles!" <laughs> when I was when I was like three, four, whatever. I, I just it. fearless. I'm just yeah. fearless kid. Very comfortable with people. And yeah, I, showtime. People came over to the house. Showtime. I'm gonna do my. I'm gonna do my stand-up routine. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make people laugh. That's what I'm gonna do. Mm. And my kids are very similar. Um, not as particularly outgoing as I am around people, adults necessarily. They might. If they know you very well, yes, you're gonna see my kids. You're gonna see them for real. If they don't. You're not gonna necessarily see, you know, their full personalities, but on set, that thing that I knew I was, I saw it happen. I mm-hmm. saw them go from literally my son Elias, his first day on set. <laughs> Sorry, son, I have to tell this story. Um, so my good buddy Peter Deloise, directing the episode, amazing. I love him. Decided that my boy Elias should say more than was scripted for him to say. He was only supposed to say, <laughs> he gets introduced to the class and Aaron, uh, who plays Elizabeth, says, uh, tell us something about yourself. And he goes, he's supposed to say, hi, my name is Cooper, but you can call me Coop, right? And it's literally supposed to cut there. But Peter's like, no, 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 you should say more than that. And he gives Elias a paragraph to say I want you to say this I want you to say hey my name is Cooper but you can call me Coop my dad is da 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 and my mom is blah 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 and my sister Angela da, like and, Eli. and that's where we hear that Angela <laughs> plays yes. music like an angel yes yeah. we hear all this right because the scene is it cuts from Elias in the classroom to to myself and Natasha and Vienna standing outside of the doors listening to what he's saying. It's a lovely scene. It's a great scene. It's very revealing <laughs> too about the dynamics in the family. But Elias was so scared when he was asked to do this. Now he didn't show it in front of anybody. When we were just doing rehearsal and Peter added those lines, he was like, okay, no problem. And Peter's like, all right, run those with your dad. We're going to get ready. We'll be ready to shoot in about five, ten minutes. And he was like, okay. We go outside. My man, I can't do this. 
I can't do this, Daddy. I want to go home. He was so scared, right? Right? He was so oh. when he said I want to go home, I was like, I gotta take him home. Like that yeah. was my first thought. Oh my god, I gotta get him out of here, <laughs> right? I gotta because the whole thing about it is you know you know this you know this to be true. As far as whatever your experience is as an artist can like make or break you. Yeah. That first pivotal experience could make you love this or make you like l hate this and be yeah. scared of it. So I was like, oh my gosh, he's actually scared. So I I I had written down all the things that Peter wanted to add to the, to his what he was saying. So I all I did, <laughs> all I did was I was like, okay, I have to focus on what he's really good at. He actually has a great memory. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what? We said that a few times. I was like, why don't we just work on the lines? Because he was crying. He was like, I, I don't want to do this. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I have to. I'm like, do I be like old hall, old school Hollywood dad? And like, yes, you have to do this. And <laughs> just demand that he do it. Or am I more myself and try to, you know, gently push him up to the start. Show him that he can Show him that it. he can. Yeah. So this is what I did. I said, let's work on the lines. Don't worry about acting. Don't worry about it. I, I, I said, this is just like my son is an athlete. So I said, this is just like when you go run your 100-meter race. I'm like, what happens? You're nervous before you start the race, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what happens? I win. Yeah, see? Because <laughs> you're amazing. He's yeah. like, it's not the same thing. It's not. He was really like <laughs> throwing it back. It's not the same thing. I'm like, listen, let's just focus on what you're good at. And we started going over the lines. Just tell me the lines. What do you What do you remember? What do you remember what he said? And he started telling me the lines. And the kid, he knew the lines. Yeah. Even through the tears, even through the fear, he knew the lines. He knew them. And so I said, well, let's just focus on that. You know what you're saying. You know what's going on. You could do this. No problem. And you could he do did this. it. And he, he went back in there. They came out and said, five minutes. And he said to me later, he didn't say this at the time, he said after the fact that when they said five minutes, he was like, there's no going back now. <laughs> <laughs> and so we go inside and you don't see it on the actual show. But he said all those words. Yeah, you can hear him. You saying can hear it, him though. saying it. Yeah. But he said it on camera. Wow. And he nailed it. And Aaron was so great because she stood there and just put her arm around him just to steady him because he was kind of swaying yeah. a little bit because he was nervous. And she just put her hat, arm around him on his around his shoulder. And he Mrs. Thornton did that. <laughs> she she's great. Aaron's so great. She and he knocked it out. And I told him I said when you're finished doing this scene. It will all be easy after this because yeah. this will be the hardest thing that you do. And he, he knocked it out. I'm so proud of him. Okay, so we have not that many minutes left. Okay. So I do I do want to get in a one round of favorite things. But before I do, I do want to acknowledge the, the brilliance of Natasha Burnett mm -hmm. um, and the fact that the family has such incredible chemistry on screen, which for three of you... That makes sense. No problem. You know, it's no problem. <laughs> yeah. You got that. But what did you do to ensure that Natasha, you know, felt like part of the family? Was there anything that you had to to do? Because you know, watching, I'm like, oh yeah, she's the she's the fiercely protective mm -hmm. mother, you know, in this beautiful family. Yeah, well, um, Natasha's an amazing performer, and she was gonna, you know, no matter what, she was gonna pull up that performance, regardless of what what was going on around her. Yeah. But um, no. Um, my my wife and I um, had Natasha over to meet the kids. You did? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Of course you did. Yeah, we had her over <laughs> to meet the kids, and and for me to meet uh, Davina, my wife. Um, you know, because you know you want all that to go smooth. That's yeah. gonna help. Uh, and uh, yeah, I met up with Natasha first, and we chatted about everything, got to know each other, and then yeah, she came over, met the family. And we always rehearsed together. We we went through all the scenes together all the time in person. Yeah. She would come over and we would have dinner and then we would run the scenes. And again, it was just kind of getting, you know, she could see how they work. They could see how she worked. You know, Natasha and I established like really early on that like, okay, we're coming from the same place. We, yeah. we really understand each other. And uh you know, she's her family's West Indian. My family's West Indian, so there was like a lot of common ground. Mm. And uh, but yeah, she she is so much more talented than people even know. She can 
yeah, she can, she pretty much she pretty much is uh, a complete powerhouse. I can't, I can't wait, wait to get her on here. Yeah, to I can't tell wait her story. for people to to see more of what she can do because she's an absolutely amazing singer. And uh, okay, that leads me to a question, yes. a fan question mm-hmm. uh, that showed up on Twitter today from iHeart underscore Cambodia, uh, and it was about the fact that we've seen at least. To, in both your episodes, the Canfields have had musical moments. You know, mm-hmm. in that first episode, you're singing while your car's, well, car's yeah, broken down. Away, yep. Yeah, and then and then Angela, you know, is playing the piano. Uh, mm-hmm. Will there be additional musical moments for the Canfields in there, season eight? There are, yes. Ooh. Yes, there are additional moments. That's um, great. Yeah, it's um, uh, initially um, when Vienna actually auditioned to play Angela, uh, Angela was supposed to be an amazing singer. That hmm. was the that was how she auditioned for the show, and so she had to actually give them a sample of her singing, and um, yeah, and she got the part based on that. It yeah. was based on what her audition, her acting ability, and her singing ability, which is great. Um, and then they changed it to piano. Um, just uh, I wasn't sure why it was, but it was it was totally cool that uh, you know, they changed it to the piano. I actually really love the piano scene that is when she climbs and she yeah. finds her way into the the top of the wagon yeah. and you're like just let her do it yeah. and Minnie's like I'm so scared <laughs> I had to uh, <laughs> there's no acting at all the only thing I will say is I had to I had to think 1918 1918 dad 1918's dad is not gonna see let you see him cry he's not gonna tear up he's not gonna cry he's not gonna happen yeah 2020 dad like me at the time when we filmed this oh man i was like oh don't cry <laughs> <laughs> but as we already established this isn't an alternate timeline i know but you, <laughs> but you gotta have something to bounce off of so i yeah. i i held back any type of tear i'm sure you can see it in my eyes they're, they're wet but like i was like don't you cry right now. Cry <laughs> took, it, <laughs> yeah. took, it took it took a lot to not because I'm watching my daughter do this and 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 she loves it so much. Mm. She loves it. She lo- she's been asking me about acting, uh, for, uh, you know, in front of the camera for the last probably three years. She wow yeah she's been doing voice work in town for a while um, with our good friend Nicole who's directed her uh, in a show called uh, Molly of Denali. And, uh, she's was, in Molly of Denali? She's in Molly of Denali, yeah. She, she plays a character named Trini. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, which is cool because we're Trinidadian. Uh, <laughs> and, oh, um, the land of doubles. Yes, yes. Oh. See, you understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do. Amazing. Um, I, okay, I, we don't have that much time, and the reason I keep talking about time is because Viv is a very busy man, and he's got some other podcasts that he's doing today, so I'm very grateful for you being here and uh, spending time with us, but I do want to get in three favorite things, Mm -hmm. okay? Okay. So the rule is, I ask you what your favorite thing is of a thing, and then you answer from your gut. Okay. Okay. Ready. Favorite karaoke song? Uh, Don't Be Cruel by Bobby Brown. Oh, so good! (laughs) Favorite cartoon character? Bugs Bunny. Favorite Vancouver shot series, past or present, that you haven't appeared in? 21 Jump Street. You weren't in 21 Jump Street? No, my brother was like nine times. (laughs) I'm so shocked. I'm Uh, shocked. I also given your friendship with Peter DeLuise, I'm just shocked. Yep. Yeah. I know. Well, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't acting back then, so. Okay, okay. Yeah. Favorite supervillain? Ooh. Ooh. Joker. Nah, is he so he's not a supervillain. Thanos then. He's not a supervillain. Yeah. Well, what? He's a villain. Actually Vader. It's got to be Vader. Oh, yeah. It's got to be Vader. Okay, that that's the one. Yeah, it's got to be Vader. What's your favorite piece of advice? to give to your kids about working through this industry? You always have to try. That is that is the the, the, the man- mantra in our house and it actually leads back to my daughter's audition for the show because she didn't want to audition for the show once she found out that the character was blind mm. because she didn't want to do it wrong. 
because she knows that there's people out there who have relatives that are blind and people that they love that are blind yeah. and to do it incorrectly would be a massive disservice and so she was worried about making a mistake yeah. and Peter DeLuise so amazingly reassured her that he would not let her fail and that she gotta try you just gotta try throughout the audition he's like the worst that you can hear is no but you gotta try and it's and it really did reinforce. That's why we love we Peter love, Louise around my, here. That's my guy. That's why we. He reinforced something that we say in the house. You gotta try. Gotta try. Yeah. yeah. Gotta try. Yeah. Just like Yoda, except he says there's no try. You just gotta do, do or do not. Do or do not. Okay, there Viv. is no try. <laughs> You're gonna come back, right? Oh, of course. I'll come back tomorrow if you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I want to watch more episodes first. I know that we could talk, you know, all know. day, every day. Viv Leacock, where can our fans find you, follow you, celebrate yes. you on the social meds? Pretty easy. It's just at Viv Leacock on Twitter. Thank you for being easy. <laughs> <laughs> at Viv Leacock on Instagram. Yay! And, uh, yeah, and Viv Leacock on Facebook. Yeah. Good. If you I'm glad. Hit me up. Not like our, our friend Sharon. Sharon Twas here. Yes. Sharon C. Taylor. Ugh, uh, annoying. Annoying. All right. I love her. I know we both love her. Okay, well, thank you. Yes. And thank you to our listeners for just giving me my raison d'etre. Please like and subscribe. Leave us a review if you're so inclined. They help us find even more listeners. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at yvrscreenscene. The YVR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Rani Mera Firminger. And it's edited by Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Firminger for technical support, and to Dane Not Firminger Devolet for the original music. Yes, my entire family is involved in family business as well. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! In the current COVID-19 environment, UBCP ACTRA, the BC Performers Union in the film and TV industry, has been working closely with industry partners, formulating sensible and practical guidelines for all cast and crew to ensure working on set is manageable, and safe for everyone. UBCP ACTRA has created a dedicated COVID-19 webpage at www.ubcpactra.ca where members can find mental health resources, financial assistance information, and back-to-work strategies and updates about the current status of film production in the province of British Columbia. UBCP ACTRA knows this has been an extraordinarily difficult time for many people. And we look forward to better days ahead. We will get through this together. Please visit www.ubcpactra.ca. A message from UBCP ACTRA.